Welcome, Path Folk, to After Party 35 of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. How y'all doing out there? Are we having a TED Hopefully Talk or something? Is this they a Blue's can't Clues? answer you. <laughs> y'all respond on Reddit. Tell us how you are. We're curious <laughs> to know. We're doing fine, if anybody was wondering. Do I need um, to change the sirenscape? <laughs> coming across really NPR right now. I'm super NPR right now for some reason. This but... is Terry Gross, and I'm here to talk with Hakatep about his political ambitions. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to be covering episodes 103, 104, and 105 in this after party. Sure. Yeah, you guys had gotten to the parched dunes before this, before actually when we did our after party following uh, 99, you guys were technically in the very southern portion of the parched dunes, but this was kind of the first couple of episodes where you're really getting into getting into the parched dunes. Well, and being like separated from the caravan and like kind of doing our own thing as well. You got out there, you got to actually delve into the parched dunes, the very least into the badlands. So let's see, episode 103 was following noticing the rock that was way up on his uh, crashed uh, boat. And wisely deciding to skip encountering with him. That was cool, though. It's true. That was cool. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you had a druid or something that could go through to talk to him. Oh, that would have been so cool. Been so awesome. My big regret, not playing a druid. Or high enough level ranger. They'd get some decent spells like that. I think they'd get speak with animal. Well, my ranger didn't have spells. Yeah, and yours could have at least calmed the animal. Yeah. Couldn't really sp- speak with him. But. On her, it could have talked with him. Maybe he wouldn't sure. have attacked a smaller falcon. I mean, Sugar can talk to him, but that's dicey. Yeah, she's, she's she's looks sassy. tasty. And that's food. Also, she looks tasty. This was also the sad episode. Yes. Oh, so sad. yeah. You found the dead rock? Yes. That was yeah. super sad. And I'm then, telling you, you brought me back to my childhood feels of uh, rescuers down under. When uh, they when they capture Marahute and no, when you, when you find out, like when the boy goes to talk to Marahute and he finds out that you know he's got the eggs, but he's all by himself. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so sad. Well, it's pretty much exactly that situation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, except it had been dead for a while and was like yeah. eaten away, and it was cultists. Well, I hate those stupid cultists. Like, I hated them before, but this book is making them even, even worse. worse. So the, the funny thing about this is the book is actually ramping up how much dislike we have for them. Like, we already kind of like, man, these guys really suck. They but killed now it's on like, Uris, and I somehow yeah. now dislike them more. Yeah, okay? I know. It's like, like, the rocks but it's and like the no, no, you killed innocent creatures. Now you definitely have to <laughs> they die. They stole the no bee child? Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Sudi was not going non-lethal on those, on those cultists. <laughs> well, it's no. like in there... It's going to sound weird. In their defense of killing Onurus, they were fighting Onurus. Onurus was actively pursuing and attempting to stop them. In the case of this rock, this rock was just minding his own freaking business. Exactly. exactly. He was just out there hunting for his, you know, Damn his or her yeah, wife at home. You know, sitting there, elephant for the baby sitting there, ed- yeah, sitting there, sitting on the baby baby eggs. I'm sure the baby eggs are probably bigger than we are. But, <laughs> probably. You know. yeah. Well, still. So yeah. it was the boy, it was the man? Uh, it, it was the male, yeah. Aww. Well, at least yep. mom is alive. Yep. Mom is particularly uh, defensive of her, her eggs right now. Although that nest in a ship is rad. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's no. pretty nifty. It would have been a cool place to explore around. I know! And then, yeah, so then we found out the cultists had attacked the bee people and killed pretty much all the warriors and, and taken we got all the, the queen yeah. baby. And yep. if we don't get the queen back, they're basically going to go extinct. Yep. Well, this hive will, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, we, we all rolled nat 20s and it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. That was nuts. 
Like, that's like a one in a million chance. And we got it on recording, too, because, like, I mean, nobody would have believed us if we'd been like, and then the whole party rolled nat 20s. Like, they'd be like, nah, come on. That doesn't happen. It was hilarious and amazing and will never happen again. It will never happen again. Confused or enraged. (laughs) And or enraged. I think it's technically a one in 8,000 chance, if my math is right. Uh, 20 times 20 times 20. But now I'm just terrified of the flip side of that, because if there's, if we can all roll natural 20s, that means... At some point or another, we're all going to roll natural ones. So in another 8,000 rolls. Yeah, it'll be when I use a well of the banshee. <laughs> yeah, <it's probably> <laughs> that's how it goes, y'all. And surely, surely Hockatep doesn't uh, have that spell. Okay, actually, 20 to the fourth power is 160,000 to one. <laughs> well, yeah, but you don't have to times it 20 a fourth time. Four players? What you're saying is you have a you have one roll that you roll. So say that Jordan rolls a 15. The chance of so, of a second person also rolling the same thing that Jordan rolled is just one in twenty. So what you're saying is is that you already have that number rolled once, so it would just be twenty a one in twenty chance for a second person to roll that, and then a one in I think four hundred chance for a third person to roll the same as the first two people, and then a one in eight thousand for a fourth person to roll the same as the first three people. This was the chapter in math I failed. I was gonna say I hate permutations <laughs> and combinations. You, you, so just, much. you have to drop the first one because the first one establishes the base number. Uh, that yeah. still doesn't make any kind of, still kind of sense to me. a lot. And that's okay. Let's move on. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you all rolled particularly well. You didn't have to uh, rage and confusion fight one another, which would have been interesting. And weird. And they didn't yeah. immediately attack us after that, so that was nice of them. Yeah, we didn't want to attack them at all. But they had, you know, every right to be paranoid. We're strangers coming in. Granted, we were not wearing masks, man. But That's the, the only reason I think they didn't attack us was, was we weren't wearing masks. Well, it also helped that... Here, I'll read it from they the book here. Due to the loss of their queen, the Thryrae are quite aggressive. And it's likely that the PCs will need to fight at least some of them. If the PCs try to communicate with the Thryrae, however, they can learn that the bee people believe that they are cultists. With exceptional role-playing or a successful DC-33 diplomacy check, wow! the PCs can convince the hostile Thry-Ray of their good intentions enough to conclude the fight. So, could any of us actually make a DC-33? I'm curious now. Well, I actually, I decided when I was reading this that I basically went, if the party does good role-play, I'm going to reduce the DC by five. Make because it it's kind of a combination thereof. Yeah. And uh, Rachel, I think, was rolling the diploma. I think it was one time it was Citro and one time it was a Hollis that uh-huh. made the diplomacy check. And in, both, really good. and in both times, you guys broke 30. Yeah. Wow. I roll well I enough, I can was, get high. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And we Hollis could aid to each yeah. other because all of us had talked a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But the poor B people. Yeah, and no. you got to talk with uh, Zazira, and she explained the whole situation. The whole thing with this episode was getting us extra mad at the cold. Two two great incidents of them just being total pieces of work. Well, then it just yeah. keeps going. We continue to be mad at them. Yeah. They, they keep trying to say, oh, we're the Silver Chain. I'm like, you're no longer the Silver Chain. The Silver Chain was this little back alley gang or whatever that just, Y'all the cult. you know, stole stuff and resold it. You know, they weren't dangerous. They didn't kill people and stuff. Y'all are different. Y'all are just using the Silver Chain as like a scapegoat, it feels like. Well, and have we met anybody who's like, yeah, I'm still in the Silver Chain and this cult took over and then like, yeah, main, I mean, it's kind of business as usual, but no, no, all of them have been like, let's put on the mask. uh, We ran into that one group. There was that group in Wati that were kind of like. everybody since has been uh, diehard cultists. And we also learned that Teddy Sura came to try to help them and she was injured. And then she was healed by them, and then she went off to cut the head off the snake, and now I think she's mind-controlled by a I will be very yeah. upset if she's mind-controlled. 
Yeah. Just, um, just narratively <laughs> thinking about how Rick is, that makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> Onyris needs a mentor. You know what? They do fight this Sphinx eventually. Yes. That's yeah. what I will do. Like Rick does have some similarities to Joss Whedon in that respect, <laughs> where he'll just, like, tug at the heartstrings. Mm. That's you true. Know? Anytime that people send me a mess, send me an email or message or anything like that, and say that they actually had a, a visceral emotional reaction to one of our episodes, I take a lot of pride in that. I'm not trying to make people cry, but uh-huh. if it happens, but I you're take happy pride. when you do. <laughs> <laughs> I take pride in all the elation and all the sorrow. Hmm. I'm not trying to murder all of your characters. I'm just required to roll the dice. <laughs> it's true. My hands are tied. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. sure they are. <laughs> I'm bound to my love of the rules. Uh, now uh, that part is true. That is 100 percent true. But the the party had uh, rested. You actually you gotten some uh, psychedelic honey, which yeah. was kind of cool. Yeah. You then were able to uh, to rest up the following episode. I think you guys had your first. You previously had your first failed divination roll. Like the roll failed. The yeah. roll itself failed. And then mm-hmm. this one failed because it's not going to happen within a week. Yep. Yep. And, and prophecy, prophecy doesn't, doesn't let you stretch yep. out past that. Yeah. It was something that I had to really think about. What are the odds that they could potentially even start to go in this direction within a week? And I decided the odds were so astronomically low. Because unless you knew exactly where you're going and beelined it, and even then, I don't think the party actually has the movement speed to make it to possibly where this is. Yeah. (laughs) Although you did still garner some information just based off of that, that it was far enough away that it it couldn't be comic was somewhere cradling little larva baby yeah the, i'm <laughs> kind of scared about what this baby bee is gonna look like um, or what he'll have done just, to the baby bee i just keep having like horrendous flashbacks to that uh royal jelly story by ray bradbury ew <laughs> i don't know if i read that it's sufficiently strange and creepy i mean a lot of bradbury stuff is like that yeah so, you I, know. Oh, I love me some ray bradbury yeah. i think my favorite of his was what was it called october game I don't know that one. One of my favorites. I'm, the Velt. Oh gosh, was that? The Velt was messed up. Um, what was the other one about the, the nuclear blast? Oh, um, there, the, there will come soft rains. rains. Yep. There oh, yeah, yeah. That rain. one is yeah. super creepy. That one's amazing. Like, anyway. oh. in, in summary, Ray Bradbury, read it. Very yeah, creepy. Stuff. Awesome yep. stuff. But no bee people in it. Unfortunately, yeah. no. But that's why the royal jelly one makes me think of it, because there's yeah. this whole thing with honey. Yeah. Go read it. Yeah, so you had some jelly. You unfortunately couldn't divine anything useful there. You'd set off into the desert. You met with some uh, some desert giants. Yeah, that's yes. Fun. Yeah, and that was Masika's weird. Masika's friends. I definitely expected them to be hostile just because, like, I don't know the last time we did anything involving giants that weren't hostile. So that was really refreshing and cool. I appreciate the desert giants also because it's... I've actually... I've appreciated most of the things that you guys have fought or at the very least run into so far in this book because you haven't... Or since you've entered into the desert, not in this book, because I keep forgetting that you guys are still in book three. Oh, yeah. That so far, almost everything that you've run into is neutral. It's like interesting. They're these, just working for survival. Yeah, it's like well, what from what information I was provided for Masika's backstory. It seems like everybody just kind of coexists. Everybody trades with everybody, and yeah, we leave those weird scorpion people alone. But they most of the time, there. they're not overtly hostile to each other. It's, just, I, it's if, like that weird neighbor that you just don't talk to. You yeah. just stay off his lawn. It's fine. <laughs> but if I recall correctly, the scorpion people, despite the fact that they can be hostile and territorial are also still primarily neutral yeah it's like so, they're not an evil race of scorpion people they're like no we're just living our own best lives we're just don't like it when people come messing around with which our is stuff. another reason to hate the cultists <laughs> because now they've come in and stirred up all this crap and none of the groups trust each other anymore 
from the sound of it, it sounded like you were mostly in kind of like a homeostasis situation. And then like you have this like external invasive species in the way of the cultist and everything is off kilter now. Yeah. That Bahir was neutral. He was just looking for a mill and someone to swing, sing him some sweet, sweet music. Dang it. If only we were a bard. <laughs> Darn. I'm still regretting that. I'm going to regret that the rest of the book. I think that's like the second adventure path where we've had that happen, where we didn't have like a musical you don't have performing skill. Oh, so yeah. We, was it like a There was something with like violin? a violin or something? Yeah. Yep. That oh. we picked up somewhere. And we, we You needed to play it to do something cool side questy, and we just yeah. didn't have a bard, so we couldn't do Never it. Never could do it. Hassan did give us a journal that's written in a cipher that we have. Oh, yeah, I got to work on that. To start yeah. deciphering, yeah. If only we could keep one of these cultists alive long enough to be like, and, hey, do you know how to read this? And nope. they were the ones that told us that the scorpion folks were starting to lash out and attack people that got too close to their territory. The other halfsies. Yeah, I'm going to bet that cobex uh, has been going around trying to... So Discord. <clears throat> Quote, unquote, recruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds a lot like he's doing forceful recruiting from everybody. Yeah. And those would make good guards. Because he knows we're coming. We're coming. Could be. Yeah, you'd had a chance to speak with some of them. You'd continued on and reached the Falchion Ridge. Found Where we egg. found a Drake egg. Oh. Look, you found a Drake egg. <laughs> we're not keeping it. So cool. Not, the, not, not this time. One of these times, Jessica's going to play a druid. And we're going to come across a weird thing and she is going to keep it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's fine. I just said this group, I don't know if we really have anybody capable of training something like a uh, drink. How would, uh, how would we even take care of it? We don't even know what it eats. We don't even know, like, like it's not going to eat trail rations. So we have to, like, find, like, you, what snakes and stuff. You have to how to train your dragon this where you, like, bond with your creature and you just figure it out. So if uh, Hollis dies, Jessica can just come back as a crazy... Uh, a drake druid. Drake, yeah, drake rider, druid, hermit that lives out in the mountains. Yes. <laughs> As long as you say, you just come in, you land, and you're like, I'm joining your crew. I've spoken. <laughs> yes. Yep. You then had fought the Drake. That was episode 105. Yeah. Where we fight all the things. Yeah. That was a pretty drawn out fight, I though. am really glad good. we got on the ground, though, because that would have yeah. been unbelievably dangerous otherwise, because they could have just bull rushed us off. Yeah. Excellent use of Dimension Door. Yeah. Yes. My only complaint was that Jessica waited until I drew out, like... <laughs> Another 300 <laughs> feet up the map. Yeah, so, so for Rick, me to go, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna drop you down. Rick has like six layers of of this road of us, so he thought we'd be running along it the entire time. And then Jess was like, "Nah," I was like, "Nah, they're gonna get over here too fast. We better just take the shortcut." Well, yeah, because I didn't know if you're going to do that or if you're just going to stand your ground and fight them. No, there's high. no way I'm fighting those things on a ten wide, ten foot wide yeah. ledge. They, oh, they totally would have bull rushed us all. Yeah, off. yeah. It, no. I was also waiting for like Sudi to get a fly spell on him and go like flying, flying kick up. To I the don't things, have fly. Or, that would have been really prepared. cool. Yeah, I, I, I have a scroll. I, I mean, I don't have a prepared either. So yeah, all I could do was throw Sudi, and that's what I planned to do, and that's what I did, and it I, was. Awesome. On your yeah. had it all the time because it was one of his domain spells, and I can't remember yeah. what the other option was, but the fly was the better of the two. That fight would have gone probably the exact opposite if we had stayed up there because, I, like I said, I, if I was, <laughs> we would have all died. If, if I was the GM, <laughs> I'd have been bull rushing people off. Yeah. They had flyby attack. Oh. There would Citra and Sudi would have not. Had, we wouldn't have been able to get melee attacks off on them. I remember my question: Was that? Excuse my French right now. Was that the f- who killed Donurus? Oh, yeah. Were no. either of them? No. Dang it! Do you know where the one that killed Donurus is? I made a sticky note. Oh. <laughs> He's probably book. with Kavek. He's probably Kavek's personal guard now or something. It's just a blue sticky note that says this guy, and then I stuck it on a page. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're gonna show up there and he's the one that has like all the burn marks and everything from the spell blast but he's also like, holding like on yours's journal like it's a keepsake trophy and we're like no it's on a necklace yep we're like, wow, that's, that's a gaudy <laughs> necklace and also heavy. I know exactly where that guy is, but no, these guys have been, they've been out here Narmer for a while. Narmer would think Onuris was the villain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, because Citra had to prove to him that no, journals don't always mean villain. Sometimes people just take notes. Goodness. What about people that notebook? <laughs> oh my gosh. Does bullet journaling count? <laughs> bullet journaling is definitely villainous. <laughs> what about oh. people that press flowers and then keep them in books? No. Uh, <laughs> no, that's just this bad is weird. people. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if you listener like to press flowers and keep them in books, that's your own deal. There's a name for that. There I'm, is. I don't know what it is. I, I tried it once when I was a kid with my mom and it failed miserably and we never did it again. Fair enough. But yeah, that was a fun fight. I did a lot of like, okay, now you get this and now you get this and a lot of running around. Which It was fun. one of those times where you like oddly had like the right spell all the time. Oh, I can help here and here and here and like the whole fights. Well, I run around good. with resist energy like all the time that's because true. that's one of my school spells. It's also just a phenomenal spell because of its duration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that displacement definitely saved me from uh, potentially going down and getting killed. Yeah, and haste is always nice. So there's some spells that are utility that I always keep stocked unless there's something specific we're doing that I know about in advance. It does a good job of illustrating, though, how um, behind the screens here, those uh, unsurprisingly, those cultists had the same stat blocks as the ones that you fought previously as well. Oh, yeah, this is the same yeah, book. makes sense. And so it does do kind of a good job. It's like, those two were pretty difficult. Yeah. You know, really illustrating how difficult the fight that you had at the, at the House of Dead Palms was. I mean, I hit him for, yeah. I had that one guy for a ton of damage. God, I know. I think it was something like 46 points of damage or yeah. something that you did to him in a round. I love that Narmer. I just was like, hey, I'm far enough away. This guy's hurt, maybe. And then Narmer killed him. That was amazing. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yep. MVP. Yeah, not bring- Hollis who teleported the party. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does bring an interesting question because I know that some some players would have really disliked that because of the kill steal kind of. I'm gonna air quote kill steal uh, type thing. I don't care. That's like my one thing. Like I, just I, dead. I, yeah. I, yeah, I was like, it's, I'm not never somebody that if somebody gets like the last second they come in and kill it, I'm never like offended or mad or anything. Because well, Lord knows I've done that enough times. Although I do get annoyed if I have like a series of moves I'm executing and then it's dead before I get to the last one and I've wasted the first yeah. two. Like that always sucks. Yeah, like when you're trying to do the full round attack and it's like, oh, but, it's dead the first time. But I'm not really mad at anybody in specific. Like just mad at the situation. The situation. It's one of those yeah. make it dead. So it can't make us dead. Yep. Yep. This is going to sound really... In Baldur's Gate, it keeps track of the most powerful thing you've killed. Mm-hmm. And it always bothers bothers me when my frontline fighter is like welling away on this guy, like my hero, the one that you make, and then you bring everyone else online. It's like I'm fighting, I don't know, Saravok or something like that. And then Edwin in the background, and he just happens to fire off a crossbow bolt between all of his other spells and hits the dude and kills him. And it's like, the wizard shot him with a freaking crossbow bolt (laughs) (laughs) after my paladin's been welling away on him forever. And I know you would not have a paladin in the same party as Edwin. I just throw that out. That would go badly. No one else here gets that, but yeah. Yeah, I was about to point that out. The three of the people at this table are looking down because we have no idea. Edwin sounds evil. Sure. The lawful evil wizard. Okay. He won't be in the same party as the paladin. Yeah, but Uh, he's like the most powerful wizard in the the game. He's the best wizard in the game. Anyway. So uh, following that, you guys met back up with the 
Fall took care of him. And we are very suspicious. <laughs> and we interrogated very, the guy. Very suspicious. He's a weird dude. Uh, he was definitely up to some shady stuff because we found out he's trying to pass off fraudulent goods. So well, yeah. we also level. didn't buy the stone salves we wanted to buy. We haven't done that yet. I think we're going to go back and buy those for sure because I think it's going to be helpful. Citra was just in a very, oh my God, Balto is really gullible. I got to put yeah. a kibosh on this. Well, he's not gullible in that He's not gullible in that way, I don't think. He's, he's street smart in that way. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> okay, this guy's got a card. He's definitely evil. Look at that what? face. Look how trustworthy that guy oh, is. Oh, come on. This guy looks like every shady merchant you see. <laughs> every single one. Like you walk up and he should open his coat. What are you buying? Exactly. I'm like, come on. Like That is not the face of he trust. Looks like your, a press. He looks like your dad's creepy friend that you know is up to no good, but it's your dad's friend. Yeah, and so you're like, you're like I mean, I guess I got to be friends with you. He looks like the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean who has all the bombs. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Or he reminds me of the guy from The Mummy that's like just along for all the money. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I just thought he looked like uh, John Reese Davies' character from Indiana Jones. He does. Yeah, bit, yeah, but I love him. Don't ruin that Bad for palms. me. <laughs> <laughs> Bad dates. So that's uh, where we left off. I believe our, our current objective is to have Narmer go spy. Yep. Yes. You can have Narmer so spy on this random. And you still need to make your way to the. The salt flats. Yeah. Yes, that's after this. After Very your cool. spying mission. Yeah, hence the need for the <laughs> spying on people that aren't in the party is fine. Yeah, of course it is. Us against no everyone else. Party. Exactly. That's how you do. We're ride or dies. So we're gonna move on to some fan emails. Boop, boop, hey guys, boop. thanks for boop. writing in as always. So yes, first off, hey, thank I'm you. Fine. And our first person <laughs> to write in is Daniel from Minnesota, who requests to be from somewhere in Tianjia. Preferably somewhere that considers winter a myth because he's in Minnesota and they probably have snow. They definitely have snow. Okay, what's like South Tianjia? Because that might be somewhere where they don't get any snow. I mean, maybe, uh, I, think it's, I think it's Goka is the, people call it the gateway to the east. It's kind of like, it's that centralized trading port and everything, but it's kind of in the southern, it's the southwestern portions of Tianjia. So maybe so something like that. Goka, we'll go with that. So Daniel from Goka writes. It's also the only place in Teen Shell that has a Pathfinder Lodge. Oh, nice. Love it. Perfect. Uh, so Daniel writes, hi, doorkeepers and mummy master. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the mummy master. <laughs> Rick is now <laughs> mummy master. I'm the step above the mummy So what Lord. are you in Tyrant's grasp then? The tyrant master. He's just the tyrant. tyrant. He's just the tyrant. (laughs) Little do we know that all of this is just the tyrant running a game for a bunch of his minions. Fair. He's doing it all through whispers. Well, sure. Stop telling me. I'm real bored down here. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually he's a lich, and we're just a bunch of intelligent skeletons. (laughs) All right. So anyway, uh, yeah, little buddy. (laughs) All right. So anyway, uh, so Daniel continues. Because we've already stopped after the first intro. <laughs> oh, right. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> Hello. Uh, as friend, a friend has been trying to convince me to GM a game for him and his kids for a while now, and I'm going to try to convert the Second Darkness Adventure Path into Pathfinder 2nd Edition for them. Yeah. First off, great choice. Haven't That's gotten to play it, but it sounds awesome. Yeah, it's one of the ones that it. I really want to play. I was really hoping for a hardback so we could have an excuse to play it. Just a minor change you might need to make for it. Book 4 gets really dark. For children. Just so you know, for children. De- so. Well, it depends on how old are these kids. Like, if they're that's, well, yeah, that's true. 14 and up, they might be okay. And his kids makes me think that they're young. Or at least yeah. one or two of them is young. So, here, minor spoiler alert for Second of Darkness here. It gets a little bit into body horror. Oh. So, if 
Mm. If you don't think they'd be cool with that, just keep that in mind. And you can easily remove that element of it just if you run it as is. It's not a central element to it, but it is running in the background. So if you've let your kids watch Hellraiser, you're probably fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or the thing. I'm okay with the amount of prep needed, but I've only jammed to Pathfinder uh, Society scenarios so far where everything is laid out. Using an adventure path will entail more rebalancing encounters for roughly the... uh, the severity a group can handle and probably also recreating some of the monsters that don't exist in the bestiary yet mm. I'll lean on Rick on whether that actually is the case that they don't have they have stuff that's not in the bestiary oh yeah I guess there, no there's unique monsters in every adventure path so true you are running into a unique situation where you're actually updating a 3.5 not a Pathfinder first edition adventure yeah. path into Pathfinder second edition so I wouldn't say it's any necessarily more or less difficult but there will definitely be monsters that aren't in one that you have to put in the other. So uh, his question is, do you have any advice on converting between systems or if not on homebrewing, as that's essentially what this is. Also, do you have any advice on how to handle a situation where a monster you buffed up or homebrewed turns out to be stronger than you thought and, Horus forbid, may even kill a PC that otherwise might have survived? I have two bits of information on that. First off, when you're converting things over, a simplest thing to do is just reskin. I know it seems to come across as kind of the lazy thing, but... If you need to have, I wouldn't even really consider this a spoiler alert because it's in the player's guide. Second Darkness starts in the city of Riddleport. If you need a street thug, just go ahead and take an orc and just say that it's a street thug. The end. Yep. And if you need to reskin some of the more complicated or difficult things, it's kind of easy to do. The second thing is, fortunately, second edition lays out the math in front of you for the challenge rating for monsters. And so... It tells you if it's a challenge rating of five, it should roughly have this AC, this attack bonus, etc., etc. So even if it is not an exact conversion, as long as it's close enough, that the, the important thing is that you get the feel of what the monster can do. So if you're going to, if you wanted an Umber Hulk for your campaign that goes down into the Darklands, then something that can do a big confusion effect and make it do that. That's the big thing that the Umber Hulk does. Yeah. Not that there are Umber Hulks in that, because I'm just talking about translating D&D to... Yeah, my my advice is to stick with uh, the translation guides because you can do full stat block uh, redos that way. It is kind of tedious because you have to do it for literally everything that's in the book. The other thing to keep in mind is um, the skill changes. So one of the harder things is if you're going to do like trap conversions and things like that, that the DCs are wildly different between like second edition and 3.5. So um, kind of be conscious that you don't um, create those, especially the ones that are like save or die traps. Like you're not tr- creating a trap that's just too high a DC that the characters can't make at the level that they're at. Two final things. First is on the subject of creating something and then it just becomes too much of a challenge, especially if you're already homebrewing something, don't feel afraid to back off, especially if you're dealing with people on their first adventure path. Don't be afraid to simply say, well, sure, these elves or these, you know, Dargar or whatever you want would kill the party right now because maybe I didn't do the translation right, but you can instead say, well, you know what? Once the party's unconscious, they capture them because they want to interrogate them on some things. Maybe they leave them in a room with one inept guard with a key ring dangling loosely from his hip. And the second thing is never be afraid to just go onto the Paizo message boards and check around because it's very well possible someone else may already be doing a conversion from this and may be kind enough to post up all their changes. When I first ran this group through Legacy of Fire, which was a 3.5 adventure adapted to Pathfinder game, despite the fact that it was 3.5, I just went online and somebody had already done all the conversions for me. And I just took all of them. And Second Darkness is popular enough, they probably already have somewhere. 
it's definitely possible to get it to first edition. I don't know if anybody's done second edition. Second edition, yet. maybe not yet, but I would keep an eye out. It quite possibly could happen. Or you may very well be able to go on there and simply say, hey guys, I need a, and what would I do for this? And I bet if you posted that on there, someone else would go on there. And, you know, the Paizo message boards are full of a whole bunch of wonderful people that are more than happy to help you. Um, that's that's a really good tip, actually. Does our friend from TN have any other things? Uh, no. So Daniel does sign off. Thank you for any help and for the days upon days of smiles you all bring to my workday. Oh. Aww. You're very welcome. Thank you. We hope you're allowed to listen to us at work. Yeah, man, that's, that's living the life, man. I wish I could listen to podcasts at work. And if you're not, good job breaking and fighting the system. Yeah. <laughs> Fight the man. Stick it to the man. Stick it to the man. Oh, man. So our, luck, second, yes, our second email is from Tim from Southampton, UK. Hey, Tim. Say UK. Taldor. Taldor. They're in Taldor. I mean, we're in Taldor, though. We're in Southampton Wait, Taldor. that's Andrin. Falcontalo? That's uh, Andrin. Well, I was going to say, maybe uh, Opara is, of course, the capital there. Yeah, or there's London, uh, What's analog? that town we went to in uh, with the fort and everything? Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know if Southampton's on the coast, but... Yeah. Casimir. Oh, yeah. Casimir. Okay. They have the tea shop with the really nice cat. Yes. So, Tim from Casimir writes, Hi, guys. Really enjoying both adventure paths you're running at the moment. I always look forward to new episodes being released. A couple of points. Why, when Onuris was cursed by one of those crystal creatures, did he slash the party not have to make a check to realize he'd been cursed with attribute penalties, but the party did when Hollis was under the effect of that cursed artifact? That's an easy one to answer. Uh, that artifact, part of the curse of the artifact specifically was that the person wearing it did not notice and would refuse to acknowledge if anyone else tried to tell them that they were under the effects of a curse. Mm -hmm. Yep. Whereas Onuris being affected by a curse was something that he was actively aware of because it wasn't part of the curse of it. So some cursed items get real tricksy with you. Yeah. Yep. Curse sort of berserking. That, yeah, the ones that manipulate your mind into thinking that something is appropriate and right are like some of the most messed up ones. Um, there's definitely been ones that we've seen in other adventure paths that do weird things where your character doesn't know anything is wrong until like it's too late, kind of. A, until you've murdered the party. Yeah, you know, something like that. Uh, so his second question says, Secondly, given your love of Egyptian mythology, I'm surprised that you haven't raised the fact that Neef, the street urchin, is named after one of the Egyptian gods. Wait, is he? They actually... Neef is a god from the uh, Egyptian pantheon. Hmm. I did not know that at all. So it's probably a god just guiding us along. This makes sense. I'm uh, glad that I was nice to them and gave them ten gold. Yeah, Neef actually is uh, is statted out in all their domains and everything else in the uh, in the book. Uh, Neef is the ruler of arrows, the neutral good goddess of hunting, war, and weaving. Okay, new headcanon, that was actually Neef. Also... <laughs> like the real goddess Neef. Also, love the living crap out of the artwork for Neef. I want to see the Neef. Oh, Neef is rad. Oh, wow, that's super cool. Nice. Huh. Neef will murder you. I think Neef is, uh... There's some connection with Neef and Set. Neef has named themselves Neef. That's not Neef's real name. Probably. Oh, yeah. Well, on a long hunt in the desert, Neef encountered Set, and their liaison resulted in the birth of a son, the crocodile god Sobek. Oh, Neef is respected okay. for her wisdom and on many occasions has served as a mediator between Horus and Set. Neef appears as a woman wearing a red district crown. She is occasionally depicted wearing armor and always carries a bow. Hmm. Huh. So, cool. yeah. Liaison with Set and the mother of Sobek. That's fun. Okay. I did not make that connection at all. I've always been a person that thinks that more characters should ne should be at the very least somewhat named 
with god names. In our world, it's very common for people, Michael, you know, named for the archangel Michael. Jesus. Daniel, yeah. Jesus, etc. Like, yeah. you know, naming yourself after religious figures is extraordinarily common practice. So it's, you know, the fact is, is if you're walking around and you run into an elf and the elf happens to be named Arasni or something like that, it's like, oh, well, okay. Maybe your parents followed Arasni and wanted to name you that. Or, yeah. Assuming most people would even notice, because most people wouldn't notice, because that's a dead deity. I mean, imagine how many orphans on the streets of uh, Absalom probably, you know, name themselves Caden. I would name myself Caden. That'd be cool. You just have a different last name. It's like I'm I'm Caden Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, so uh, great point actually, because yeah, that was a connection that I don't think any of us had actually made. So that's great. Thank you so much. And who knows? Maybe it was Neef. So he Mm -hmm. signs off with "Keep up the good work." Thank you. Will do. We will try. Awesome. Thank you. Our third email, a little bit short one from Joseph, who doesn't say where he's from. Joseph (laughs) from the fine merry ship, the mermaid's kiss, sailing its way across the oceans of Galarian. I don't know. Sure, we'll go with that. Joseph from the mermaid's kiss writes, hey, guys and gals, big fan of the podcast so far. Episode 17. Oh, wow. 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 So um, it only gets better. You're not going to hear this for a long time. (laughs) You're not going to hear this for a long time. Sad. Uh, Depends on how much they binge, considering the current state of affairs. Depends also when they wrote. (laughs) That's that's fair. I don't know how long this email was. For all I know, Joseph's all caught up. Uh, Anyway, and I heard y'all reference other games you've played slash are playing. Are there any other podcasts you guys have? Of course, there is our Tyrant's Grasp actual play. Yep. Yep. Uh, So he signs off. Also, thanks for recording. Listening to great podcasts like yours makes driving for a living an extremely enjoyable way to earn my paycheck. Oh, he's definitely caught up then. Uh, (laughs) Joseph, I'm just going to assume you've you've gone through us and GCP and like literally everybody. So Yeah, that's when I listen to my podcast. Because if I had to drive all day, I would do nothing but listen to podcasts. The best time, I agree. Well, I'm glad that we can help uh, at the very least keep you awake out there on the road. Oh, so yeah. keep listening. Very cool. Final email. Uh, this is from CW, who just gives us their initials and doesn't say where they're from. So Shadow that's Absalom. Okay, so CW from Shadow Absalom, not to be confused with the real Absalom, yeah. writes. Hello, I just wanted to say that I love both of your podcasts and love the work you all do. I'm a brand new GM that is going to be running the Curse of the Crimson Throne soon. Oh, so good. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I have been reading the anniversary book I got and reading some of the old Paizo boards about the campaign. I was wondering if you had used any custom ideas to add to the campaign. I saw that a few people had added one of the Paizo adventures that has to do with the Academy. Sorry, don't remember the name of it. And another mentioned that they added to the house on Hook Street. Did you do stuff like this or just straight run it from the books? The Academy was something I did want to add to it. I didn't. In large part because we're going to get into some very minor spoilers here for Curse of the Crimson Throne. So let me preface it with that. By the time that the party's high enough to do the Academy as written, the party has already left Corvosa. Uh, because I believe the Academy starts at 13th level. I'm not 100% sure on that. The House on Hook Street, which by the way I've read and is a phenomenal adventure is actually written as a sequel to Curse of the Crimson Throne. It's an occult-focused adventure, so it's kind of a good adventure for everyone to play occult characters that involves the repercussions of the sheer number of people that died in Corvosa and the spiritual impact that has on the city. Oh, that's cool. So why haven't we played this? I know, that sounds awesome. Time, basically. (laughs) That's so cool. It's a really neat story. Okay, I need to play this. We need to play this. Yeah. Um, what What I will throw out there, though, is... I kind of feel that it doesn't, especially if you're reading the older board posts, I kind of feel like the anniversary edition doesn't need any extra stuff put in there because they actually put back in an entire segment 
in book four of the anniversary. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. And they also included all of the stuff that they had to cut for room that Greg Vaughn put in book five. Yikes. Which was a lot. And expanded a whole lot of extra stuff. I, I remember especially in book two. Mm. So because of all the additional stuff it adds in there, I really don't feel like it needs anything else. But a paranormal investigation sounds like a great holiday special for Halloween. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. That does sound Ideas. Great. People can't see me, but I'm doing the eyebrow lift. We're always yeah. scheming over here. Always scheming. I would say, actually, just as an interesting thought, you could introduce a separate group that's maybe moving around the town at the same time the party is that could work as backup characters if the parties have any of their characters die during the events of the first three books. And then if they don't, you could then have those characters, you could then run a side story with those characters doing the Academy if your party wants a break from book four, which can get a little bit grindy. Yeah. Uh, So it might be a fun transition over to seeing what's going and being able to, and then getting back to the main story following that. Not a bad idea. So that's actually, yeah, that's a really good idea. And just run the Academy during that time. So just a thought. Okay, so CW signs off. Like I said, I'm a new GM and I have a feeling I'm going to be bad at it. Any thoughts or notes you might pass along would be great. Thanks, CW. You're not going to be bad. First off, yeah, you're going to be fine. This is like one of those things where it's like, relax, you're just running a game. The only bad GM is a person that doesn't actually want to be there doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, so that or somebody who gets like too into what they're doing at the detriment of the table. So yeah, I think we've, yeah, t- we've talked about this before. Yeah, don't railroad your players. If they come up with zany ideas and the rules let them do it, let them do it. Don't but, let them walk all over you. But, but in but, enough effort so to, you know, show that you care about the game that you're running. And if you are enjoying yourself, your players are probably going to enjoy themselves too. The big piece of advice that I would give is... Make certain that the players feel that the story is also their story. Any player is going to enjoy it that if they make a backstory and that they say that their uncle was this awesome, I don't know, captain of the guard, and then he retired and trained them and did all the rest of that stuff, bring in that character's uncle, and that character, I guarantee you, will be having fun with the game. Bring back in everything that ties the characters into the story and makes the story about the characters. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the tie-ins that, I mean, I learned how to do it from Rick, obviously, but, like, tying in characters' backstory is also really enjoyable for the GM because, like, if you think about it, for lack of a better term, that's the moment for that character to shine, that they become the main character. Like, this is a very cooperative game where it's an ensemble cast, but you get that moment where it's like, hey, buddy, it's all about you right now. Let's go through your backstory and have you do most of the role play. And I think for, for players and GMs, I always find those really satisfying moments. Oh, yeah. yeah. And specifically for that adventure path, it doesn't mention it in the player's guide, but encourage your players to make characters who actually care deeply about the city of Corpus. That is actually a great pro tip, yes. Because you do spend a lot of time there, obviously. You need to care about it. You you need to not just care, but like deeply care enough to actually like get up and get into the streets and actually get involved in in saving the city. Have your players make characters that want to be heroes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That one specifically, yes. Some some adventure paths, you're just like every man who just get caught up in stuff. This one, it's like, no, you need to be the ones who stand up when everything is going down and say, yeah, I, I want to help. Yeah, so good luck, C-Dub. C-Dub. Good luck, C-Dub. <laughs> and thanks for writing in. And that's the end of our emails. So it's time to cast a deity, y'all. Oh. Bum, dun. Yep. All right, what do I need to roll, Rick? So go ahead and roll me a D20. D20, you say. Back up to the 20. I rolled a one. 
Of course you did. Because of course I did. Because <laughs> even outside of the game, my dice look is awful. And this is why I don't gamble and play craps. Seriously. So, this will be an interesting one. Okay. And again, one we're, we're really going to be uh, casting voice. Mm. Oh, boy. For today, we'll be casting Akakek. He <laughs> walks in blood. Oh, man. Akakek. Oh, my goodness. While Akakek's divine genesis is heavily debated among scholars, it is believed that he was created either by the power of a singular deity or a group of them to eradicate those who would steal a god's divinity, and he has since become the enforcer of divine punishment. Known as he who walks in blood, he slumbers in the blood of heretics and worships alike in an immense cleft carved into the base of the boneyard spire, a realm known as the Bloodfell. He keeps no formal relationship with any other deities, even his sister, Grandmother Spider, uh, who repeatedly coaxes Akakek to rebel against the gods and abandon his duties. In response, even though some gods disapprove of Akakek's methods, few openly defy him. <laughs> so there we go for our good buddy Akakek. Well, I'm ready. The assassin of gods. Oh boy. I've got one. Me too. All right, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with this. Right, she can only pick one. Stop writing down names. I only have two, and it's a backup just in case one of y'all pick mine. <laughs> okay, probably not going to be me then. Go. Okay, that's right. I'm hosting. I get to yes. go first. Okay, okay. so yeah. I am going to go with Michael Clark Duncan. Huh. He's got yeah. a deep voice, and uh, he's got yeah, he's he's a big guy. Not like, Dexter. No, not Michael uh, C. Hall. Michael C. Hall. No. That's who yeah, it is. no, no. Uh, <laughs> Michael, Michael. He was famed. Uh, he was in Green Mile. Green Mile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he passed away, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. Oh, but did he? Yeah, yeah oh. he did. Yeah, like four years ago. Oh, I loved it his work. It was more than that. It was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, he was also in Armageddon. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> everybody knows uh, Armageddon. He was in Scorpion King, Planet of the Apes. Uh, he played uh, in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. He was Kingpin. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's the got a really, had a really deep movie. voice that I just really liked, and I think he could put a lot of menace into it, too. So I think it would be really cool. Mm, cool. All right, I'm going to go with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> For Smaug. <laughs> yeah, I, was th I thought about that, but, you know, so he's done that kind of thing. And then, he, you know, just over the body of his work, he's played some kind of menacing characters. He is also just a phenomenal, not just actor, but voice actor, yeah. too. Because, like, he can, he can, like, he doesn't need his face to mm -hmm. do really great work. So, that's my pick. That's a good pick. Meiji, what is your one answer? Mine might be on the nose, but he's just so perfect for it. Jeremy Irons. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Because oh, man. I love him. He's been in so much. I mean, he was Scar. That yeah. was my yeah. creepy, you know, childhood right there. Not to mention he's been in so much stuff. And I just remember seeing him in Die Hard 3, and I was like, yes, he's such a good villain. <laughs> and he's and he's got a very distinctive voice. There's something about It's not even just the, the British tone. It's like, it's something... I don't know. In it, I don't know. I, I can't even describe it. But he has this voice that's just perfect, and he can sing. <laughs> in case you want Akakek to sing Akakek to you, is yeah. Is go well, hey, hey, he's, he's got to sing. Wonderful. He's got to sing his mantis song so that he can do <laughs> mantis dance before he kills you. More dance than a song. Yeah. But you know, I bet Jeremy Irons could do it. You got to have a beat to go to, so he's like beatboxing while he's doing his dance. Oh Jer God. Jeremy Irons is always great. He is amazing. Akakek would be really good at Beat Saber. <laughs> <laughs> My lord. Oh man. Alright, this one's gonna be a little weird, but it's mostly because of the whole, like, put upon by his, you know, sister, grandmother spider all the time, and to rebel and all the rest of that stuff, and being moody, living in his, uh, 
in Phrasma's basement. Uh-oh, I know what's going on here. I'm going to go for Adam Driver. I knew that. <laughs> you know? Just just being moody down there. I mean, to be, to be fair, he did okay. a really good job as Kylo Ren before he took the mask off. Because, like, whenever he had the mask on, he was yeah. like... yeah. <sighs> You just imagine, like, some upstarts trying to become gods or whatever, and then he just, like, kicks the door and just the little, like, shrugs. <laughs> also, somebody would be good at Beat Saber. I do love me some Adam Driver. Uh, Adam Driver. I, I love John Oliver's obsession with Adam Driver. <laughs> That's yep. weird? All right. That man. I'm going to do a weird one. Peter Stormare. Oh. Who is Lucifer and the Constantine that Keanu Reeves yeah. is in. And uh, Chernabog in um, American Gods, the, He's the just series. He's amazing. He's, He's menacing so and really creepy in a weird, like, you're not sure That's, why you're so creeped out by him. That is a perfect choice. I'm a little sad I didn't take it. Jeremy Irons still good, but that's a good competition right there. Giant bug guy, yeah. Peter Stormare. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I find it funny because in the running for my pick was Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> Could have had both sides of that. Sean. Just, uh, I, I like so... Benedict Cumberbatch, but Adam Driver, man. Oh, man. I like all of our options. This is a we hard got, one. We got yeah. some I have a hard time with Adam there. Driver because I saw that movie with Bill Murray and him that was like zombie movie that oh. was like... Oh, Dead Don't Die or something like the Dead that? Dead Don't Die. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. I don't know. Like I, All I kept going back, and I don't know why this stuck out of my brain more than anything, was the, the SNL skit that he did as the undercover <laughs> boss part two, <laughs> yes. where he like stabbed someone through the chest and leaned forward and just went... Okay, boomer. <laughs> and like he just kept saying "Okay, boomer" over and over again because he was trying to connect to the millennials. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, but yes, Peter Stormare. That's who I say. That's right, who everyone should so, vote for. Yeah, we're gonna have to put it to a vote. Yeah. So go and watch that clip of him being Lucifer. I feel hot like I've got Heather yeah. on my team already. Though. Yeah, but <laughs> I really like Benedict Cumberbatch for it too. So hop on the Reddit. Vote for who you think it'll yeah. be. We'll see who wins. I think we've put Peter Stormare up for something else, though. Did I don't he think win? he won. I don't, I don't think, think he won. I don't remember. I could we put Adam Driver up for something else, too. I don't, I don't think know. he won either. I don't yeah. remember. We need, to we, get, need to we need to do our master list of who's been There is a master there, list. There is somewhere. that's yeah. posted, yeah. Because yeah. I, I know that we've suggested Peter Stormare for something because he is so perfect well, for that. We need to get a big, like, March Madness board in here. They can be nominated for other things, but once they've won something, that's who they are. That's what I mean, is we need to check because if he's won something then he, I think I nominated him for Lucifer like for for Asmodeus and I think he lost oh yeah oh yeah you did yeah and you when this is one? all over we should do a giant game of uh, what was that card game hero fight <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the gods that we cast <laughs> super, oh, fight. Super, super fight, fight. Yeah. super fight yeah. super fight with all the gods that we cast <laughs> oh man yep 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 who would win in a fight between Akakek and Caden it's like uh, uh. Caden, he'd be so drunk he wouldn't know what to do. I was going to say, Caden's got I, drunken master also, powers. Also, I can't, can't fight gods. Anyway. Well, that's a little unfair. Oh, yeah, because he's lawful. He can't do that. Yep. Uh, rightfully yeah. elected ruler, Kaden so on and so forth. Caden can punch a god yeah. in the face, though. Caden yeah. can do whatever Caden wants. He don't care. Yeah. Um, Nathan Fillion. <laughs> also, he's Nathan Fillion. <laughs> the only one that wasn't voted on. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, we're we going to call spoken. it... Th- yeah, so I guess we're going to call it there, guys. Yeah. Thank you for tuning yeah. in. And stay uh, safe out there, guys. Yes, stay safe. Stay healthy. Yeah, from all of us at Find the Path, of course, we care deeply for every single one of you. And we wish that all of you are happy and healthy and safe during this difficult time. And thank you for continuing to listen. We hope that we are helping you through this. Even those weirdos that press flowers. Even those weirdos <laughs> that press flowers. If that's you, you know what? If that Even if that isn't you, 
Maybe take it up. Yeah, what else yeah. are you doing? Yeah, try it out. Some, now's the perfect time to pick up some new hobbies, Just guys. some really weird Victorian era hobbies. Like, <laughs> like hair hobbies. art. Oh, hair art. Yeah, that's yeah. odd. Be I really thought you it. were about to say heroin. <laughs> no, not that. We want you to be safe and healthy. Safe and healthy. Because of that Victorian era, like, <laughs> hobby. I was like, what is about to happen right now? They were really into opium. Have you tried some snuff recently? Yeah, you know what's great when you're locked in your house? Absence. <laughs> oh, or just get you and your lover and your friends that sometimes maybe your lover's with too and like write some creepy stories and maybe invent a genre. God, yeah, like yeah. Mary Shelley. <laughs> yeah. For those of you like who Mary didn't get Shelley. the reference. Yeah, lock yourself in and write the next Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. Or I will point out that on the list of things that they suggest you do, family game night is on there so it's a great time while you're locked up in a house with your family to, to teach them Pathfinder to make them play Pathfinder with you as we all know the family that slays together stays together exactly <laughs> and on that note bye bye <laughs> yes goodbye Path Folk and we will see y'all on Monday Next, wash your hands yes good luck and take care boop boop Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.